Hey, so good morning. It's good to be here in Burlington, Vermont. Uh, Michelle and Caleb uh, and I are in town for uh, Ryan and Katie's wedding. Uh, but even more so than that, uh, because it's Euro's birthday today. He asked, he asked specifically, Josh, it's my birthday and I would just, I'd love for you to preach specifically to me in all the ways that I need to repent in my walk with God. So I said, you know what, as a good friend, I'm going to do that for you, Euro. So this is only for Euro on his birthday. No, but Brian and Katie's wedding, of course, uh, was in New York yesterday. And, you know, in general, the weekend was pretty overcast, pretty rainy. But there was 20 or 30 minutes of sunshine that happened like right during the ceremony. And so that, that was just a, a nice way for God to just be like, blessed. You know, and then, and then we had it. It was a great ceremony. And of course, uh, if you're familiar with Ryan and Katie's story and how they met and how they became disciples, it was even more beautiful, right? Uh, to see all of that come to fruition. Uh, it, the, the wedding was a, a result of a lot of learning and growing and waiting. And I know a lot of you guys were even part of that and helping to become disciples and just being an example for them to imitate uh, as, as men and women that are just trying to be disciples in this world. And, uh, so I know that they love you so much. And you were influential just in their life. But uh, I was talking uh, with Mike about plans for this weekend, and it was looking like, okay, yeah, I think Michelle and I can swing it. Uh, they're going to let us leave Champagne. We can come and visit you guys. Uh, and then I learned during that time that not only was Mike going to be a groomsman in the wedding, but he was also officiating the wedding. And I'm like, dude, you're on double duty. And I'm like, I got to give me the sermon. Just, just let me take it from you. So you can, you can do that stuff, and I'll just come in. So I, in, I insisted, and uh, he graciously said yes. But uh, I I want to tell you a little bit about uh, Michelle and myself, because I know some of you guys don't uh, know us, uh, many of you do, but uh, for you that don't, uh, Michelle and I came here uh, in 2014. We moved to do a one-year challenge, uh, as many of you did, uh, who are uh, maybe entering into your fourth or fifth year challenge. You know, you didn't go home, which was awesome. Uh, I'm, I think that that's what the year, one-year challenge is designed to do. It's just like, convince them to be part of this new church, and then they'll stay. And so, it's all a big sham. The one-year challenge means move there for one year, but then be convinced to stay. So, amen. Uh, but we were able to come, and you know, our one-year challenge turned to a two-year challenge. In that second year, uh, we had uh, Caleb born. And so, Vermont, of course, is, is going to be a special place for us always, in Burlington specifically, because Caleb, by birthright, is a Vermonter. <laughs> And, and that means something, you know, that means something uh, for his whole life. He can be pretentious, you know, in kindergarten when people are like, where were you born? And people are like, Illinois, Champaign, Springfield, Bloomington, all these like small Illinois, you know, Illinois towns. And then Kale would be like, Burlington, Vermont. And people are like, where did this guy come from? You know, but uh, we're we're, of course, just so excited to be here. Um, and oh, uh, and I had to I had to mention because I know some of you guys care about this a lot, so it's probably important that I say so. Caleb was rooting for the Patriots, and he he was very for the Patriots. It's his birthright to to root, at, you know, for them as a New Englander. And there were a lot of anything but the Patriots fans where we were at. But Caleb, by birthright, he was rooting for them. I can tell from the glow on your faces, you guys are still just. Basking in the victory and the glory, like it's it, we're still benefiting from that. So, amen. Uh, and then, lastly, you know, before we really dive into the sermon here, uh, just to eliminate any potential awkward conversations, uh, Michelle is indeed pregnant. So she didn't, you know, let herself go to Illinois and just ah, just let it go. You know, no, she's she's pregnant. We're expecting a little baby girl. Uh, 
the, the due date is uh, is August first. Uh, but if Caleb is any indication, we should be expecting him in like late or le- expecting her in late June. I don't know, <laughs> early July. Uh, Caleb was about a month early, so we'll see. But uh, we're gonna have a little little baby girl this summer, so we're really excited about that. Uh, let's go ahead and open up our Bibles. We're gonna turn to Acts 17. Now, uh, the sermon is not about Acts 17. Uh, that's the title. There's a, there's a title. Joyful Imitation is the title of the message. Uh, we're going to talk about something that happens in 1 Thessalonians. That's really what we're gonna, where the sermon is going to be at. But the backstory for what happens in 1 Thessalonians starts in Acts 17. And so for us to get the full understanding and the context of what's going on and why did Paul write this letter to the Thessalonians, we've got to see what happens first. In Acts. So that's where we're going to start. Uh, go ahead and turn to Acts 17, and we're going to start in verse 1. It reads in uh, Acts 17 When Paul and his companions had passed through. Now, okay, anybody want to give a shot at these, uh, these names? That's, that's what we're going to go with. They came to Thessalonica. Where, they, where there was a Jewish synagogue. As was his custom, Paul went into the synagogue and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that the Messiah had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah, he said. Some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and quite a few Prominent women. Amen. Come on, prominent women. Let's go. Uh, so, you know, this is pretty amazing. This is pretty amazing. Paul, Silas, Timothy, they're there for just one month of preaching. And after just one month. OK, so you see it right. It says three Sabbath days. So we're, we're working with like three, four weeks. Right. It's, it's a month's time. And a large number of Greeks are persuaded that Jesus is the Messiah. Uh, well, a large number of, of Jews and, and Greeks. So that, and then they become disciples. That's amazing. Hey, have you ever had that happen? You know, when it does, it's amazing. It's a, it's a miracle. You meet somebody. You tell them about Jesus, what he's done for you, how your life is different. How you become a disciple and they begin to quickly pursue God. And not only do they pursue God, but they get baptized. They become a disciple. Man, it doesn't happen often. Where it's that quick. But when it does, it's so clear that God is working and he made it happen. Right? That's what happens here. But it's, it's not just one person or two people. But it's, it's many people that all become disciples at one time. And Paul and Silas are really encouraged by this. As, as you and I would be as well. Can you guys imagine going down on Church Street and you hand out 500 invites and then like 400 of those people show up and become disciples? Like... <laughs> Dang, wow, what's going on here? This is amazing. You know, that, that would be crazy, wild. Right. However, there's some trouble brewing in the community. Uh, whenever you kind of shake things up, uh, there's, there's going to be some people that don't like that. And that's what sets up what's going to happen here in First Thessalonians. Uh, we're going to get there in a second. Let's read a couple more verses here in Acts. Verse 5, it says, But other Jews were jealous. So they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace. You can just see this happening, yeah? They formed a mob. They started a riot in the city. Church Street was going crazy. They rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the other believers before the city officials shouting, These men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. 
and Jason has welcomed them into his house. Jason, what are you doing? We even have a Jason here. Jason, come on. You, what are you, you know the kind of trouble that's going to cause. They're all defying Caesar's decrees, saying there's another king, one called Jesus. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the other others post bond and let them go. At least they just had to post bond. They didn't kill him right then and there. Uh, but more trouble comes later on. So we, we see here very quickly. Okay, very, very quickly. What started off as an encouraging, overwhelmingly exciting situation very quickly turns into a very challenging situation. Uh, because of this persecution that the Thessalonians had to go through. Paul and Timothy and Silas uh, were, were messing up the equilibrium of their world. Uh, sort of what you guys are trying to do here in Burlington. You're trying to shake things up. Say, hey, we, we got a message and, and this is what that message is. And that's what we're trying to do in Champaign. That's what we're trying to do all over the world in the kingdom of God is shake up our communities. You know, mess up that equilibrium to say, hey, we've got a message that's worth listening to. And then here's, here's what happens now in 1 Thessalonians. Now we, we've got some context. So Paul and Silas and Timothy, Timothy they're, they're run out of town. Right? And if you know what happens in Acts next, after this, they go to Berea. Right? And, and, and then they talk about the comparison between the Bereans and the Thessalonians. Right? That's right where this is happening in Acts. So now, now the, these guys have to leave. And they leave quickly. But Paul, Paul wants to you know, just write him a letter. And to encourage them because he's heard that despite all of this stuff going on, they're still faithful. Despite them being run out of town by a riot, the people in Thessalonians, they're, they're still being disciples. Even though there's persecution, even though there's hard times, they're still being faithful. And Paul's like, man, i got to write a letter to encourage these guys uh, because, man, I wish I could be with them, but I had to leave for fear of my life. Okay, so now we're in First Thessalonians. This is exciting stuff. You guys with me? Yeah. All right, here we go. Under the table, it works. There we go. We're starting in verse 1. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you. Thanksgiving for the Thessalonians' faith. We always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We remember before our God and Father your work produced by faith. Your labor prompted by love and your endurance inspired by hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers and sisters, loved by God, that he has chosen you because our gospel came to you not simply with words, but also with power, with the Holy Spirit and deep conviction. You know how we lived among you for your sake. Okay, so, you know, we don't have time to to break down each of these verses one by one. I'd love to. I want to get to verse six, though. So what we're going to do is just look at a couple of these things. You know, I think it's just it's important to understand that these guys were only there for like a month, right? Just a month. And I I feel like Michelle and I, we relate to to what's being said here in verse two and three in our own prayers. We were here for a short time. Uh, Two years is just a drop in the bucket of our lives, right? And it's it's here and and then it's gone. And now we're living a, a different life. But but we in the same way, in verse 2 and 3, we always thank God for all of you and continually mention you in our prayers. We moved away, but you are still in our hearts and we love you. And we're excited by what we hear from you. I signed up for the, for the email updates that Kristen sends out, which look beautiful, by the way. <laughs> Don't they look beautiful? Yeah. Like they're, those are sharp. I stole it. I, I'm using the service now uh, for my own campus ministry because I'm like, these look too good. I can't pass this up. 
So, no, but I signed up for those, and I, I'm encouraged. And then I saw my little picture on there. I'm like, oh, dang, look, I'm going to be preaching on Sunday. Like, it's good that I had that reminder. No, but, you know, I, I, we, we relate to that. And we think about your work that's being produced by faith, your labor that's being prompted by love, your endurance that is inspired by hope in Jesus. And we strive to have the same in our own life. Amen. Let's continue on here. And I really want to focus in here on verse six and seven. That's going to be where that title comes from. Joyful imitation. Oh, we're not there yet. Well, you can look at a map. OK, it says you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you welcomed the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. All right. So remember that turmoil that we just read about in Acts? That's what's being referenced here in the midst of severe suffering. That's what he's talking about. This this riot and this other, you know, the stuff that was going on. And that's the reason that Paul and Timothy and Silas were only there for under a month. They're run out of town. You know, what's baffling about all this to me is that despite everything that they're going through, they they had joy. Their their demeanor was described in one word as joy. Despite all this stuff, joy was the thing that defined how they were feeling. You know, you got to understand some of what it meant for them to be shaking up the community like they were doing. Let's talk about that for a second. So their property would have been, in some cases, taken away from them. Because they became disciples. Their families are disowning them because they've become disciples. Fathers are are tearing their robes and throwing dust and ash at their children saying, You're dead to me. You're no longer part of the family. Get out of here. Man, government officials are saying to the Greeks, You are traitors and you deserve to die. They're on a hit list now because they're Christians. But despite all of this, they still had joy. And it says that this joy is only possible because of what? Because of the Holy Spirit. Take a look at the impact that they had in their world at the time. So it says that they became an example for all of Macedonia and Achaia. That's a big chunk of land. That means that they, you know, that, that's, that's this area. So that means that they're an example for Athens and Corinth and Berea and Philippi. It said anybody's faith that we're going to look through that's going to stick it out in tough times. Yeah, man, it's the Thessalonians. Look how joyful they are despite these trials. Man, wouldn't that be cool? That's, that's, that's what Burlington is known for. Man, despite, man, you guys are working hard ground here, but you have joy. And you love being here because you want that hill country, right? Okay, amen. And, and a lot of this comes from, and this is now what I want to focus on, from verse 6, it says, You became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you welcome the message in the midst of severe suffering with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. Imitation here is key because they only saw these guys. And remember, they don't have like a fully, uh, you know, uh, they don't have like a full New Testament. Right. This is the New Testament it's being written. Uh, they've got their their Old Testament scriptures in some cases, but not even great access to those. They've got oral tradition. You know, they, they have what they knew about living life as Jews. And that's a whole nother story because you've got to now take the culture of the Jews and mix it with the culture of the Greeks who now say, forget all that. We're just Christians now. This is something new and different. So what did they have to learn to be like Jesus? 
that they had imitation. And they saw Paul and Timothy and Silas and their lives and how they lived in that community in that difficult time. And that was the thing that allowed them to understand what Christianity was. You see that? Imitation. Joyful imitation. I think about um, I think about all the trials that Paul went through, you know, all the trials that he must have gone through. And that really makes him the perfect guy to be an example for these guys for what they were about to go through. And they, they heard Paul's stories and, and, and all these difficulties that he went through. And they said, OK, if he can do it, then I can do it, too. I'm, we're going to make it. Let's talk about. Let's talk about imitation for a little bit. You know, so much of life is really centered around being a good imitator. Uh, let's think about it for a couple of different things. OK, let's say you're a musician. Uh, if, if you're a musician, you don't just say, I want to be a great guitar player. And then you pick up a guitar and then like start just shredding. You know, that's not how that works. Right. right? If you want to be a good musician, what do you do? You, you, you find a musician that you really respect. And, and a style that you you know resonates with you whatever and you take that style and you try and play it chord for chord you know you get the tabs you print it out you go up to YouTube you, you watch okay oh he plays the G chord like this and he plays the F chord like this and, and you you watch and you imitate and you try your best to do what they do so that someday you can maybe be that great but you don't start off and say yeah I'm just gonna I'm gonna create my own style. From step one. No, first you have to be a good imitator. The same thing goes with uh, being an athlete, right? You don't just say, oh, I'm just going to be a great ball player and you just go out and do it. No, you imitate the players that you've seen, you know, professionally, the players around you that have stuff figured out that you don't have figured out. You're like, oh, how does he do that? Okay, I'm going to follow in this way. Oh, his arm is back like this rather than like this. Yeah, that's what I'm going to do to elevate you know, all these different things. Right. You, you imitate it so that you can someday be great. Uh, if you're a plumber, you got to do the same thing. you got to do the same thing. Like, you can't just figure it out. You don't just walk in and say, oh, this is how everything works. I mean, you can make your best guesses, but you're an apprentice. In every trade, it's like that. In every, in every area of life, you have to be a good imitator. Yeah. I think in our own culture, there's like a little bit of a stigma of like, you don't want to be an imitator. You're like, I gotta be me. I gotta be my own man. I gotta be my own woman. I, I'm gonna pave the way for myself. Like, no, 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 knock that. Be a good imitator of the things that are going right. Yeah. <laughs> like, don't try to figure it out by yourself. What are you doing? You're asking for trouble. <laughs> and, and that bleeds into our discipleship even. Because uh, we say, nah, I can, I can figure it out. I'll do it by myself. Uh, it'll be fine. It, it'll work out. It's like, no, 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 no. Imitation is key to discipleship. And verse 6 says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord. Right? But he says you became imitators of us. Why? Their lives were worthy of imitating. They knew how to be disciples during hard times. And they imitated them. They imitated the Lord. Here's a question for you, just in your own life. Are there people in your life that you're striving to imitate spiritually? Are there people close in your life where you're just trying to do what they do? Man, this guy gets up early every morning and has a consistent prayer time. And I just am bad at that. You know, I hit that snooze button seven or eight times and I just can't do it. I can't wake up early in the morning while it's still dark and go out by myself and pray. You need help with that. You know, you need help with that. Is there somebody in your life that really just is great in their in their purity or great in their relationships or great in listening? You know, is there something, you know, different parts of discipleship where you say, man, I'm going to imitate this person because, man, they're just they're great at it. They're like they're like Jesus in that way. 
I think that this marriage class sound, and you know, I wasn't there, but I can only assume that you guys' marriage was able to be an example for everybody else. The things yep. that you've learned that people can now imitate and bring that into their own marriage. Um, I, I think that this is why I, I really love the house church model. You know, the house church model is it's, it's families, not all just in one age group, not all just peers, but you've got a house church where you've got some campus students and some young professionals and you've got some little babies and you've got, you know, people that have been married for five years and people that have been married for, you know, 30 years or whatever, because you get to learn from each other. You know, and a lot of discipleship, you can imitate your peers in some ways, but not in all ways. So that's why we, we need one another. And there's so many scriptures that support that, right? That, that the older women should teach the younger women to, you know, that there's so many of those that are like that. But it's it's about imitation. Hey, really quick story. OK, there's a guy in my campus ministry. Um, uh, our campus ministry is it's about 25 students uh, and we're just loving it. You know, it's a, it's a great time uh, during the time that we've been there. I think I don't know. 15 or 16 people have been baptized at our campus. It hasn't grown a whole lot because the nature of campus ministry is like 10 people get baptized, awesome, but then 10 people like graduate. <laughs> and you're, you're right back where you were. But So that's why you got to keep, keep, keep working at campus, guys. <laughs> you gotta get uh, but there, there's this one guy, and he's just kind of struggling, right? And he, he, uh, he's a disciple from up in Chicago, and he moves down as a freshman, but he was never really tied in. He became a disciple as a teen, uh, and, and he just never really... Got in, you know. He never really took ownership for it himself, and I'm just like, man, I don't know what to do with this guy. I've done everything that I feel like I can. I'm trying to just hang out with him right now. I'm not connecting with him, and but I know that he started the Bible with somebody uh, who's like a father figure to him. And I say, well, I'm going to give this guy a call just see if he has any insight on how I can help this this young disciple because he has that relationship that I don't have, and I can't just force it, you know. So I call this guy up and say, hey, Alberto. Hey, uh, how do I how do I reach this guy? I just I can't. I, I don't, I'm trying. To, and he's like, I'll be there in the morning. <laughs> I'm like, what do you mean you'll be here in the morning? He's like, we're just gonna set him up. I'm like, what do you mean we're gonna set him up? You tell him to come to breakfast, and I'm just gonna be there. I'm like, whoa, 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 whoa. I'm like, hold on, man, Alberto. I'm like, hang on a second. <laughs> this guy lives in Chicago, uh, right? So Chicago is two and a half hours from Champaign. And he meets us for breakfast at 7 in the morning uh, to disciple this young brother that he has a relationship with. Because I say, Alberto, how do I help this guy? And he says, I want to be there because I love him and I care about him. And I can't see him go through making bad decisions that are going to affect his life from here on out. Man, I saw that and I want to be a discipler like Alberto. Yeah. I saw that and I'm like, man, I'm so inspired by this guy. He dropped everything. He had work at 10, right? So like he woke up at, at you know, whatever, 6 or, sorry, no, 4 in the morning yeah. so that he could get to Champagne by 7 so that we could have a two-hour time so that he could drive back to work and then start his day. You know, at the start of work, he's already been at it for six hours or seven hours yeah. with me helping Alberto. And I say, that's the discipleship that I want to imitate. And I want to be like you, Alberto. Yeah. And I want to care like you. How easy is it for us to just say, man, yeah, forget it. Uh, it's too hard. Uh, I, I tried my best. No, no, man. And he taught me. And that was the most effective D time I've ever been a part of. That was mostly just because I was sitting and like. Nodding. <laughs> I had to do very little, but uh, go, go to First Timothy uh, four twelve. 
Um, so in verse, in verse, oh, actually, you don't have to. It's right here. Uh, so verse seven says, "And so you became a model to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia." That word "model," uh, you've seen it before, or well, maybe not exactly. The Greek word here is the same as uh, "example" in First Timothy four twelve. And so this isn't just, you know, you can be an example at any stage of life if you're being, you know, if you're following Christ, right? If you're following Christ, it doesn't, you don't have to be like, well, I'm going to wait until I, I can be an example for people until I'm 70. Like, no, 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 no. And this is what Paul says to Timothy. Timothy and Paul are together during this time. And this is the kind of language that Paul would use all the time. He says, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. But set an example for the believers in speech and conduct and love and faith and impurity. He says, hey, you're a young man or a woman. Doesn't matter. You can still be an example for the people around you if you're like Christ. Right? And, and there's so many young people that, I, that I'm inspired by. I was at camp the other year and there's like a kid that memorized the book of James. And I'm like, what the heck? What are you eating for breakfast, dude? You're like... You're amazing. And he's like some savant of scripture. And he just memorized. But it's because he devotes himself to memorizing. He set an example for me, for sure. I was put to shame, you know. But this, this word is the same. Model. You know, it says you became a model to all the believers. You became an example to the believers. That's the same Greek word. It's just translated different in those different verses. But that, that word, it's like a, to leave a mark by striking. It's in the way that you would make a, a coin. Right. So you've got a coin that has the face of Caesar on it. You're an example. Right. It, it, it's an imprint of what Caesar's face looks like. Right. They, they, it's the same every time because here's what it looks like. Boom. Hot metal. OK. That's what it looks like. It's Caesar's. It belongs to him. And that, that's that's what this word is. And we understand that, you know, that connection. What he's saying here is your life ought to be Jesus. Example. Jesus. Jesus face on your face. Example. And now you look like Jesus because you're an example, an imprint of who he is. You get that? Isn't that cool? That's cool, right? I like it. That one's for free. Uh, But that word model and example, it's the same. It's. Let's talk about this is going to be fun. Uh, We'll get there in a second. I want to talk about this. Yeah, this is my son, Caleb. Uh, He's a great imitator of me. Which is scary in a lot of ways because it means he's going to imitate the things about me that are maybe not righteous, which is not good. Uh, but he's a great imitator. Um, he he holds the bat. Well, I mean, check that. That's he's not even two, you know. But he's like he's hitting the plate. He's hitting the plate before he gets ready, man. He he's got his eye on the ball. He's getting ready. But he watches what I do. He wants to be around us. But we've got a softball team at church, and, and he comes to the games, and he watches, and he wants to be out there. And, and I'm like, son, you can't. You're not, you, I mean, you just learned to walk, dude. <laughs> he throws the ball, right? He's imitating. He even, check this out. He takes my hat off of my head and puts it on his own head because his, his hat, which looks exactly like mine, isn't good enough. He wants to be me. He wants to be like me. Once again, super flattering, but super scary uh, because he wants to he wants to do. And, and I, of course, I, I know I'm just waiting until uh, he gets to be uh, like 11, maybe. And then that'll go away. And he'll, he'll, he'll want to do like a, nothing uh, that I do just because it's me. But amen. I'm basking in this stage right now. OK, but he this is he joyfully imitates me. He joyfully imitates me. He wants to be like me. 
He doesn't want anything else. He just wants to be with me. He wants to be like me. He wants to do the things that I do. I think our, our mindset should be like that with Jesus. Like a child. Just to say, man, I, I just want to be like you. If we were all like that, uh, I think that we would have some great joy. Uh, let, let, let's go to Second uh, Thessalonians. Sorry, First Thessalonians, uh, chapter two, and I, I want to look at a couple more of these examples because th- this isn't, you know, as a father is for his uh, for his child. Th- this is the language that that Paul uses here as he describes what he's trying to describe, which is why I thought it would, you know, shameless plug for my cute son, but you know, th- there's a greater purpose here. First uh, Thessalonians, chapter two, verse eleven says. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. He says, we dealt with you like a father deals with his children. I know some of us have, uh, you know, some of us had great fathers. Some of us have had Pretty imperfect fathers, and some of us have had uh, no father example really in our life. And so I want to say spiritually, spiritually, do you have somebody who is your spiritual father? Do you have somebody in the faith that you're striving to imitate and who is also caring after you in this way that Paul is now talking about caring for the Thessalonians? Somebody who's going to encourage you, somebody that's going to comfort you, someone who's going to urge you to live a life worthy of God. Who calls you into his kingdom and glory. I think it's important that we all have those kind of relationships. You know, we all have to have those people in our life that are urging us, encouraging us, comforting us, and calling us towards the kingdom and towards the Lord's glory. Let's continue on in, in first, first Thessalonians. I wanted to jump there because uh, it, it, this, this theme of imitation, and you can study it out. You know, uh, it's a great it's a great study. First Thessalonians is five chapters or whatever. You can finish it this week. Just look for all of the ways that Paul talks about imitation. It's all throughout the whole book. But uh, let's go let's go on back to First uh, Thessalonians, uh, verse eight. A little bit more on this on this imitation and, and what what it does in the world around you. First Thessalonians, uh, verse eight. Said the Lord's message rang out from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, that map that we looked at earlier, but your faith in God has become known everywhere. Therefore, we don't need to say anything about it (laughs) for they themselves report what kind of reception you gave us. They tell us how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God and wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who rescues us from the coming wrath. Now, he says that the message rang out from them. How did it ring out? Okay, let's look at that word rang out. What is that? It's it thundered out. It bursted forth. That's this kind of word. It exploded from you. It, it just it came out. The message exploded from you. <laughs> Would people say that like about you in your life? The message of Christ explodes out of your body, like onto everybody else around you. <laughs> sounds gross. It sounds gross, yeah. Uh, but it, but it rings out. You know, we can have 
We can have really well-planned evangelistic campaigns. We can have special events and services. We can have good you know, handouts. They're nice and glossy on one side and that matte finish on the other side. You know, that's good stuff. You can have some hip Facebook graphics, uh, which I, I just try and imitate Kristen. That's all I do. You, you, you can have all this stuff, but the thing where the message rings out, it comes... From what's it come from? It comes from the life. It comes from living it. It says it rang out from you. It comes from their example of life and living. When these guys were living it, it was it was undeniable that they're doing something different. What are they? They're living different lives. They, they're imitating Jesus, and it is confusing to the world around them. He says, therefore, we don't need to say anything about it. You know, when you're living it and you really are just living the life and your example is so evident, you don't even have to say anything. People just see it. And now hopefully you saying things about the gospel and sharing it, it that, that, that's part of it, right? That's part of it. You should say things. But what this is saying is like, we don't even need to say anything. Your, your, your example, it precedes you. We, we know everything about how you're like because it has thundered out from you. And, and Paul's encouraged by this because his ministry is being promoted by the lives of these guys. You know, he was in other places where he was working and working and working and working for years. And there was not this kind of joy this quickly. But these guys got it. And they just, they were promoting the gospel by how they lived. Uh, verse 9, let's look at that again. Um, uh, it says they, they, they tell how you turn from God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven whom he raised from the dead, Jesus. You know what else was really uh, impacting about their lives and something that could be imitated was how they turned to God, how they repented. It's not like they, you know, OK, so there's these idols, right? There's these idols and it says that you turn to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. It's not like they said, hey, we're sick of these idols. Let's go find something else like this isn't fulfilling. Uh, it's not really working out for me. So let me just find. No, 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 no. They were in it. They, they were living the life of worshiping idols right. day to day. It was who they were every single day. Every decision that they made is based on these idols. But they're. That they're confronted with the way of life of Paul, Timothy, and Silas, and they say, "Nope, not anymore. That's gone. We're turning to God. This is this is the, nope. This has to be the way that I live now. There's no way I could go back because I've seen what this life is like." No. And you know, we don't we don't talk about idols too much, but you guys know, like uh, an idol. Uh, it, it, we, we don't, we're not just talking about like a little statue uh, necessarily in our own lives. When it comes down to it, an idol can be a lot of things. It, it can be, you know, your relationships or your education or money or anything else can take this place of an idol. Yeah. But here's the way that idols are the same. Okay. Uh, and this is another language thing that he does uh, in the letter, which is cool. Idols, when it comes down to it, are dead. That, that's it. Idols are dead. It's, it's a figure that's dead. It has no life inside of it. In the same way that if you put your trust in and your hope in money or your relationships or whatever else, that will be dead and you won't have the true life that comes out from it. And he says, no, no, no. You catch what he says and how he says it? What does he say about, what does he say about how they turned? 
they, it says they, they tell how you turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. He makes a contrast here between what was dead and now this is alive. You turned away from a dead way of life and now you're living this kind of life. One that's, that's full of vigor and life. It's the true God. I really think that, that our stories, our, our stories of how we repented and the ways that we turn from our old life can be one of the very, very best ways that people can see that our lives are new, that they're different. You know, to talk about, man, I was this way and I would have continued to be this way, but I was confronted with the living and true God and then had to live differently. Those stories are impactful. Don't, don't take for granted your own story and being able to tell it and tell it well and often yeah. uh, to the people that you're reaching out to. Uh, you should have that thing ready. You should have a, you should have a one-minute version, a three-minute version, a five-minute version, and a half-hour version of how you repented and turned to God. Amen. You should be ready at all times to talk Amen. about it. Okay, because what was it that it impacted these guys? You, we, we saw how you turned from idols to God. That was the thing. That was one of the things that impacted them so much. Uh, we're going to begin to wrap up here. Um, uh, flip over to 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 4. Verse 15. Oh, I had like a tweetable quote and I didn't say it. Can I say it? I'll go back. At the end of Idols, I said, how can something that you have to carry, carry you? There you go. You can tweet that out. Free of charge. You gotta carry around an idol. How can it carry you in your life? Okay, well, it, I had to go back. It was too good. First right. Corinthians four, uh, verse fifteen. It says, "Even if you had ten thousand guardians in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Therefore, I urge you to imitate me. For this reason, I've sent to you Timothy, my son, whom I love, who is faithful in the Lord. He will remind you of my way of life." In Christ Jesus, with agrees with what I teach everywhere in every church. Uh, and we're now in a, this is a different church, but I just wanted to show you that in more places than one, this model of imitation and discipleship is all through what Paul talks about in the first century church. Yep. He says, "This is what I taught everywhere in every church that imitation is so important." This word uh, "guardians," right? He says, "Even if you had ten thousand guardians." Uh, that translates to, to, to like nanny. Like even if you had 10,000 nannies in Christ, you do not have many fathers. And that gives so much insight into what the verse is talking about. It's like even if you had 10,000 people checking up on you to make sure that you went where you were supposed to go and you ate what you were supposed to eat and you... Nah, 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 no, you got one father though. And this is, this is a, just a, something that you can think about it as you're going about your day today and the rest of the week. Are the people in your life, uh, are, are they fathers and mothers for you? Or are they more like nannies checking up on you? He said, even if you had 10,000 of these guardians in Christ, you don't have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I became your father through the gospel. Uh, sometimes we just have people in our life, relationships in our, in, in our life, where it's just kind of like a nanny relationship. <laughs> like, Dad, Daddy told the nanny what was supposed to happen, and nanny's just making sure that it happened. But no, th- this is like... The father, like like before, comforts and urges and encourages and disciplines all these different ways. Uh, do you have those people in your life? Now, there's such a contrast between those two types of uh, relationships. Um, 
First uh, Corinthians four it, it offers an insight into our role as Christ's followers. Uh, what is it? It's it's that you're to live a life that is worth imitating. You know, Paul lived in a, in a way that demanded that people follow him and imitate him, and uh, he doesn't. Uh, he doesn't only like mention to Jesus that or mention that Jesus is the one to follow, but he but he challenges people to follow his own life. Right. So he doesn't say, no, 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 just be like Jesus, be like Jesus, be like Jesus. No, he says, no, be like me, be, do what I am doing. And so that kind of tells us about the Christian walk that uh, we, too, ought to be able to say to other people, yet yeah, imitate my way of life, imitate, imitate how I work. In my workplace, imitate how I interact with people on the street, imitate how I drive and how righteous I am as I drive, like imitate in all of these different ways. Right. And so we, too, ought to be able to say that of ourselves and of our own walk with God and our own just life. Right. Your life. Sometimes it can feel overwhelming to be like, you know, because this is a mission minded church. We're, We're trying to make disciples. Yeah. Us too. We're, we're trying to get out there and make disciples. And that, so that sometimes means that you go out on Church Street and hand out 100 invites. But what it means more so than that is that your life bursts forth an imitation of Christ. That your face is an imprint, an example of Jesus. And that people just see it in how you live. And that's impacting for them. And maybe it won't happen right away, but they see, man, there's something different here. And I can't quite put my finger... Oh, okay. I got it. I get it. You know, Paul, Paul mentions Timothy in this chapter. Timothy is a, a next-generation leader. Uh, somebody that Paul had mentored, the father, this father-son relationship in the faith. Uh, and, and he's the guy that he chooses to send to Corinthians, uh, to the Corinthians, to remind them of Paul's way of life. So Timothy was right there with Paul, and he saw him, and how he acted, and all this stuff. And then he sends him... To the Corinthians so that they can be reminded of Paul's example of life. Uh, not just to remind them of what Jesus is like, but to remind them of Paul and how he ought to be imitated in the way that he lives. Uh, let's go ahead and close out. We'll close out in Second uh, Timothy chapter 2. I got it right here too if you want to look at it. It says, And the things that you have heard me say in the presence of many witnesses entrust to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. This is discipleship in a nutshell. It's Paul saying, Timothy, like now what I've taught you and I've passed on to you and you've seen me and imitated me in my way of life. Now you take that and entrust it to reliable people who will also be qualified to teach others. This is the model of how discipleship is supposed to work, how, how the church is supposed to function. Now for us to be able to say, hey, okay, now you have this faith, now you pass it on. And that's, that's what discipleship is. When we follow Christ intimately, we attract others to follow the Master. And through us, they, they draw closer to the light of Christ. Uh, when they see your life, they too can influence others with the love uh, that we experience in our own walk with God. Uh, but it all begins with this, this, this question, is my life worth imitating? And that's what I want to leave you guys with uh, today, just to ask yourself that question. Say, do I have a father in my life uh, that's helping encourage me and train me and inspire me uh, to be more like Christ? Uh, And and am I, myself, worthy of imitation and taking on just really the mantle of discipleship to say, I want to instill what I do know 
And maybe it's not like a ton. And, and, and this might feel overwhelming, right? He says, entrust to reliable people who will be qualified to teach others. Remember, the only reason that these guys were able to be joyful despite all the suffering was because of the Holy Spirit. It's not about you anyway. And maybe that's a whole other sermon. But uh, it, it's, not, it's not about, you know, oh, well, I don't know enough. No, no, no. You, you, can, be like, you can be like Christ. Is, is my life worth imitating? Uh, I, I, I'm encouraged by you guys all. I'm glad that we were able to come and be here uh, this morning. Uh, I, I encourage you and urge you uh, to live a life worthy of imitation. Amen. Amen.